0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Gentleman's Journal podcast. I'm Joe Bullmore, the editor of Gentleman's Journal, and our guest on today's show is Munya Chihuahua, the comedian and satirist whose viral videos have skewered the likes of Matt Hancock, Piers Morgan, Will Smith, Nigella Lawson, vacuous influencers, American YouTubers... And most of the current cabinet. He's also the host of Race Around Britain, a documentary series for which he was nominated for a BAFTA just last week, and in 2021 was nominated for a MOBO Award for Best Media Personality. I should also say he's probably the hardest working man in show business and quite possibly the nicest too. So, in a thoroughly entertaining episode, Munya tells us about how he pretended to be Idris Elba's son in order to try and get an agent what having a million followers might do to your brain chemistry, what the back of Olivia Coleman's head looks like, and how middle-aged Lithuanian women might just be central to his enduring success. Enjoy! But before we begin, I'd love to tell you very briefly about The Gentleman's Journal Shop, our new men's style destination full of the independent brands that we love. You can find it at shop.thegentlemansjournal.com. That's shop.thegentlemansjournal.com. Head over there for special, unique releases from a fine curation of brands and plenty of picks and pointers from people in the industry who really ought to know. I'm sure you'll find something you love. Hi, Munya. Hey, Joe. How's it going? I'm good. We got there in the end. Mm, It's quite... um, interesting isn't it that awkward moment when people are adjusting mics you don't really know whether you're meant to say hello whether you can start talking yet whether it's going to be awkward and difficult are you used to it nowadays it's amazing that
1: um, despite being a skill we've had to use every day for the past two years there is net that in the history of mankind there's not been one seamless
0: conference call online no it's a shame it's probably a good thing if, they, if we were too good at them we might never see each other again we might live in our Mm. pods, in our homes.
1: Do you ever get depressed when you think that the Guinness Book of World Records for 2020 and 2021 are just going to be longest time on Zoom, longest (laughs) time saying, can you hear me? Yeah. And longest time
0: changing to external microphone. Do you know what I mean? Everyone's going to be like, what the hell happened in those two years? You can't believe it's been two years. It feels like a complete... Nightmare, daydream, something very, very odd. I've just barred it from every living memory, so even you mentioning it now, I I
1: have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, I I, I, (laughs) I ordered one of those men in black pens from Amazon and just
0: erased my memory several times. Do they work? I might have to get one of those. But uh, yeah, I can't believe I've already started this talking about the pandemic. We'll, we'll, I apologise to any listeners. But actually, you know what? It's a segue here because the pandemic wasn't a bad time for you, was it? That was kind of when I first became aware of your, mm. your incredible work. And that was some of your big breakthroughs, in fact, within in that sure. time. Well,
1: I remember at the start, my manager said to me, look, I don't know what's going to happen. I think we'll be in it for two weeks. Yeah. But what I do know is that in this time, creatively, there will be real winners that emerge from this period. Now, she was talking in a purely creative sense. And I just yeah. thought, as soon as I heard that, I thought, i got to be one of those. Yeah. I don't know how. I don't know what that even means. But I want. if, if there's such a thing as a winner from this, I want to be one of them. And uh, that manifested itself as, you know, I just decided, cool, I could sit and play Xbox all day. <laughs> and to be honest with you, I probably will. But I said, the alternative to that is just make two banging videos a week. And that's yeah. just what I did. I just said, cool, as long as I make these two videos a week, I will feel like the cogs are still turning. And that was the yeah. only thing that was important to me. And the 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 kind of the repercussions from that, the positive repercussions were disproportionate to anything I could have ever imagined.
0: I mean, the one that sticks out because it was so pandemic flavoured was the, obviously the Matt Hancock, it wasn't me, which mm. I was talking to Martin before this about um, about that one. And he obviously martin our producer works in production and 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 music and stuff like that so the the idea that you could turn it around in the shortest period of time forget how funny and genius it was Mm. the sheer pace of things what is your work ethic just crazy are you just kind of one of the person who just once you're in the zone you just go and don't stop till it's done or do you procrastinate a bit like the rest of us well i grew up in
1: zimbabwe Yeah. yeah and um at school, it was a little bit less forgiving in the sense of, uh, you know, in English schools, from my experience, everything is tailored to making sure that uh, the students have the most, have a, have a sort of real plain sailing through school. You know, yeah. um, everything is on the side of the kids. In Zimbabwe, if you bring your homework in late, there's seven varieties of canes that will be <laughs> greeting your backside. Like there's no, you know, it's, it's tough love. Uh, if you've ever watched the the that that film about the spartans 300 where their idea of sort of a sweet a sweet 16 is sending them out to fight a werewolf in a red (laughs) loincloth that was pretty much the ethos of zimbabwean schooling i'm pretty sure the film was based on the zimbabwean schooling system yeah and what that what that basically drilled into us was you you've got to be the best and you are gonna have to work hard and the people who work the hardest are the people who will perform the best now I would opt now for working smart. I th- I'd say to anyone, if you can save time, have enjoy the ride whilst you're doing it, that's the best way to go about it. But unfortunately, years of sort of Spartan-like training in Zimbabwean schools have meant that that is how I approach my work. So, you know, when that story came out, the specific, you know, Matt Hancock story, yeah. uh, you know, I'd woken up and I'd gone, right, it's a Friday. Uh, you know, I am going to have a self-care day. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to do some deadlifts. I'm gonna I'm gonna get a freshly squeezed orange juice on the way home. And I remember just turning on my phone and there was one message and it was a picture of Matt Hancock sort of <laughs> writhing against the wall with Gina. And I just oh thought, Okay, you know that orange juice? That's gonna have to wait. And So what uh, time are we on now? Is that like eight AM? Eight AM. Yeah. So I actually created a video prior to that. And then looked at it and thought, no, 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 this doesn't match the scale or this doesn't match this, the, yeah, this doesn't match the scale of the story. It needs to go bigger. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And then I made the song. So song was made probably between 10 and half 11. Video was filmed 11 to half 12. I had a meeting that was meant to be at at 12 and I said, oh, sorry, I'm having a sofa delivered you know, very difficult to disprove whether someone's having a sofa delivered because it's like, well, can we see it? And it's like, well, actually, I'm, I'm being crushed by it on the staircase right now. So, um, yeah, several people that day would have heard about this imaginary sofa being shifted okay. up three flights of imaginary stairs. And then I rushed off to the meeting, waited for my, my editor, Carlos, to add a, f- a few flourishes. Yeah. And uh, when I got back, the video was ready. So it was a massively quick turnaround. Yeah. Um. That was one of those occasions where the song just flowed. It was almost as if Shaggy had made that song ready for Matt Hancock's adultery, because yeah. <laughs> everything was just flowing so well. You know, right. the PPE was was fitting perfectly with the rhyme scheme. You know, the double entendres about Ooh. pricks and vaccinations just were working. It was just in that moment I felt like Kendrick Lamar, um, <laughs> except about except instead of rapping about sort of racial inequalities, I was rapping about uh, Matt Hancock's penis, which, you know. I'll
0: leave you to decide which is more important. <laughs> right. No, exactly. Well, the history books will let us know. But I think um, when, when that first came out on, um, I think it was a Friday afternoon, someone said to me, oh, he must have he got a tip off. He must have had an inside line and, and have been working on this for a few days. They thought you were no. deep in the, the kind of news media matrix. And I said, no, I think he's probably just uh, reacted pretty quickly to events. It was incredible. <laughs>
1: it's one of those things people always ask me they say how do you, you know how do you do it so quickly um and it's actually one one question that i'm not really able to answer because i don't really know right all i know is i had a very rigorous job in production where i would write scripts for a daily live magazine show mm. and you know you'd spend the days before working on this masterpiece of a script you know the uh the ceiling of the what's it called the Sistine Chapel? What's the one where he does all the angels? Yeah,
0: Sistine Chapel. You know, I mean.
1: You'd get your your script to the point of Sistine Chapel, and you think brilliant. Can't wait for this to go to air. And then you know five minutes before, somebody would like you know Justin Bieber would tread on a pug in New York or something, and you'd have to change your whole story to reflect this. Okay. By the way, that's not an actual accusation of Justin Bieber. I'm sure he's <laughs> he's got a perfect pug record. But um, you know something like that would happen, and you'd have to amend the entire script two minutes before going live. Yeah. And if you went live and it wasn't done, tough luck. Like, you got to speak to the boss afterwards. So I was used... To, I guess what I'm saying is I have been raised on a life of
0: sort of... Adrenaline. Very, yeah,
1: adrenaline. I've been raised on, uh, you know... My whole life up until this point has been one of an adrenaline junkie. So <laughs> these things now, they, they feel quite natural, but I can understand yeah. to the outside world, they might seem as if I've
0: sort of just got Westminster being drip-fed to me on a daily basis. I've heard people ask you before whether Hancock has seen it, but has Shaggy seen that video? Has he ever reached out? Shaggy hasn't reached out, but I can sort of imagine him...
1: I'm I'm sure he would have seen it in his mentions and just gone, you know, what the hell is a Matt Hancock? Do you know what I mean? Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Uh,
1: It feels so quintessentially British. So I don't know if he's seen it, but I actually met a politician the other day at the BAFTAs or someone who works in politics, and, and she said to me... Oh, believe me, he has seen it. So I'm nice. just sort of waiting for Matt Hancock to invite me to one of these celebrity boxing matches. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, you know, we'll be on the undercard behind the KSI and Logan Paul or something. <laughs> do you think you'd beat him? I mean, he's you know he does a lot of running. He's in good nick. He does do a lot of running. Um, do I think I'd beat him? I think, to be honest with you, I'd just be wary of being <laughs> corner- just be I'd be wary of being cornered by Matt
0: Hancock because we all know how that goes. <laughs> So I think I'd be the one doing the running. <laughs> you mentioned the BAFTAs there. You mm. were nominated for mm. your Race Around Britain show. What's that, what's that award show like? I see the kind of after-party photos at Soho House. It looks like a lot of f- very cool people having a good time. Is it as mm. glamorous and fun as it, it looks?
1: Well, I'd be lying if I said that the thing I was most excited for at the BAFTAs after-party wasn't the fact that there were bowls of chicken and chips wow. with sriracha sauce. Okay. As soon as I saw that, uh, I I was just... I basically just started... Uh, if you ask anyone, what was when you're doing at the bachelors after party?
0: Yeah.
1: As opposed to me sort of long dropping champagne into my mouth, I was just sort of huddled in a corner hoarding uh, <laughs> bowls of chicken, which, you know, that's the way I want to go. So Fine. I had a great time personally. That was my okay. personal experience of it. In terms of the ceremony itself, it's quite a strange one because... You know, you're staring at the back of Olivia Colman's head for for half of it, which in in and of itself is an incredible experience. But then also, what's it like the back of her head? By the way, oh well, I mean it's everything you'd expect from okay. a BAFTA winner. Do you know what I mean? Right. You can you see the back of her head, and you think you know, this is yeah. why she's been winning the BAFTAs because it is sense. it is a sight to behold. <laughs> you know, speaking of the Sistine Chapel, um, but then at the same time. You're just extremely conscious of anything that you do because for for most of it, there is a cameraman with a sort of rocket launcher-sized camera at point-blank range in front of you. Yeah. So it's almost as like, you know, you spend the whole ceremony waiting for a gap to, to check your phone or okay. scratch your nose, um, you know, both of which can look conspicuous out of context. So, yeah, I found myself sort of just being nervous about when, to, when was the right time to scratch my nose yeah. <laughs> without seeing a headline about me the next day. But... I, I loved Richard Ayode, I thought he was fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. I thought that the, you know, I thought that just... It was very surreal making a YouTube show with my friends, first show we ever made, and then suddenly being sat in this room, which is sort of 95% shiny gold stuff, with mm-hmm. some of the biggest actors of my lifetime. So despite the, you know, the crushing devastation of not winning, I think actually when you do take a step back... I did have to think to myself. No, you do not. Know it's still an achievement.
0: Yeah, I so, think it definitely is. You mentioned Rich Ayoade there. Who were your kind hmm. of comedy icons or heroes when you were growing up, or in fact, just anyone in entertainment? Who did you look up to?
1: I can't really remember looking up to uh, you know traditional comedians because that was something that I wasn't really exposed to. But what I can say is, I think that my heroes growing up were wrestlers. Because in Zimbabwe, for some reason, um, we had one BBC... So in England, you have about 63 different BBCs, right? In Zimbabwe, we had one, where all of the BBC content in the world was concentrated onto this one channel. (laughs) But for some reason... We then had about seven different wrestling channels. It's like Mugabe had. Uh, so it's like uh, Mugabe and Zimbabwe had bought exclusive rights to just streaming wrestling at all hours nice. of the day, and so you know I spent my childhood watching these you know mussily oiled up showmen who who would have the the whole crowd in a rapture and would sort of hypnotize the audience. Yeah, you know for hours on end. And that was where I got my sort of my love for showmanship. You know, you talk about The Rock. I mean, I guess in some ways, you know, he's a big influence because, you know, he not only he dominated the wrestling world. Everyone knows The Rock. Everyone knows the people's elbow. And then he sort of would deliver a a metaphorical people's elbow to the silver screen when he became a movie star. You know, he's launched his rap career, which I will save for another interview. But, you know, he's an example of someone. He's like a Swiss army knife of a man who's just gone out there and entertained on all platforms. Yeah. And I guess I see, I saw that charisma and that confidence and that breaking of boundaries. And I think that is something that does inspire me. Yeah. Um, uh, You know, in addition to basically being, uh, you know, to him being my physical doppelganger.
0: Yeah, naturally. (laughs) You did some, um, what's it called, body double work with him, didn't you, at one point? yeah
1: no for sure i mean um whether or not they put that scene into magic Mike 3 is uh you know that's a different question because the 18 rating can only allow you to show so much but anything okay. that's saved will just go into my only fans
0: absolutely <laughs> i don't want to bring i was listening to the elizabeth day episode you did there's mm. there's, there's a there's a nude story there we probably oh, yeah. won't go there in fact even mm. just leaving it out there is probably more powerful and people can use their own imagination or is that well,
1: not yeah or no, no, no. I think that's very fair. All I'll say is um, you can create some pretty incredible accidental nudes with a bubblegum flavoured Yankee candle. <laughs> that's got to be the, that's surely got to be the tagline off the, <laughs> of
0: the article. I was working towards that for a good 10 minutes and now we've got it. So yeah. you, you spoke about your childhood there. Was it always mm. clearly going to be entertainment or presenting or, or, you know, you being the kind of star of the show? Or did you ever think maybe there's space for me as an accountant or a doctor or something?
1: Oh god no! I mean, I think the height of my mathematical ability is writing boobs on a calculator. Yeah. which how do you do that? That's me... five. Eight. Yeah, five eight double oh eight. Okay. Also, the first half of my phone number for anyone interested in working out the rest. <laughs> after, if they've been driven into a frenzy by the the, the hint of a, a Yankee Candle story. <laughs> um, so I yeah no look I was very interested in sort of the the more imaginative side of things. Yeah. I didn't know if it would be singing, acting, dancing. But what gave me a pretty good indication that it would be something to do with entertainment was how excited I would be when my parents would film us to, to send like videos over to my grandparents who are still in England and how excited I would be to watch that back. Um, that gave me a pretty good indication of, oh, I like being on screen. And then also whenever I listen to music, I don't know if you do this, but yeah. every song I ever listen to, I am imagining myself in the music video. um that's all i can think about um you know just some sort of choreographed routine probably a stage dive okay um and that that so that told me cool well i can there's some part of my mind that is inclined to being an entertainer so i just enjoyed creating a reaction in other people you know
0: you said your maths wasn't great but you were a a pretty good student weren't you you were diligent you worked hard Mm. and you were head boy at, at one of the schools you went to for sure i was uh
1: so i've I've been head boy at every school I've been to which if I had a hinge profile that would be the that would be the top statement. Yeah. Um I <laughs> at school so my dad was very strict and he um you know he loved two things very much god and good grades. Right. And so you know the fact that I wasn't a pastor just to avoid uh, just disappointing my father even further I just decided to make up for my ungodliness with you know straight A stars. Yeah. So worked very hard um And I actually found a way of entertaining the class in addition to being a good student. So I would, whenever the teacher would turn around, I'd be naughty. And then she'd turn back around and I'd start reciting, you know, Pythagoras' theory. So I literally had the best of both worlds. The teachers loved me. My friends loved me because, you know, I was kind of like the the, the sort of um, uh, the strategic joker. Okay. So school, I really enjoyed school in Zimbabwe. When I came over to England, you know, there used to be a rumour in Zimbabwe that uh, if you told your friends you were going to England, they always would say, oh, England's a place where they throw chairs at teachers. And I thought, God, it can't be that bad. And literally on my first day in England, someone lobbed a chair at an art teacher. So that was a culture shock. I mean, on my first day, I saw a guy, uh, one of the boys in uh, in my class had an earring. You know, in Zimbabwe, you weren't even allowed to sort of breathe out of line. So when I saw this guy with an earring, I was half tempted to sort of dial 999 and go, look, there's, a, there's, a, there's an active criminal in my classroom. <laughs> so that was a big culture shock, seeing yeah. how the kind of the, the pendulum of respect swung. Because in Zimbabwe, your teachers and your parents, that's the holy grail. Like, you've got to tip. We would literally wear hats that we would tip whenever we saw an adult. Oh, really? Or a teacher, absolutely. You know, you could get sent home from school for not having elastic bands, or we called them garters, that held yeah. your socks up. Wow. Um, whereas you, you know, you know, you come to England and and it's just you know, like I said, it's it's, it's basically sort of like a, a royal rumble with your teachers, just lobbing yeah. pointed objects at them. So it took a lot of getting used to. But I decided I'm going to stick to what I know, and I am going to try and be a good student, and I I'm going to try and keep that diligence because i I think it will lead to something good.
0: Yeah. Uh, I'm often interested, when people kind of leave school, you went off, off to university. Did you have an idea of, in, in your head of what a kind of 40, 50-year-old munya would look like? Did you see yourself on any kind of traditional trajectory or was it a kind of, I don't know, some opaque crystal ball?
1: Well, I mean, obviously, because my dad was Christian, we weren't allowed anywhere near a crystal ball. Right. So <laughs> if, if anything, it would have been a, a prophecy by Moses would have been the correct okay. analogy there. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. But... I thought I was going to be a forensic psychologist, to be honest. Wow. I thought I'd be sat in a room across from, you know, the Joker, asking him why he did X, Y and Z. Because I, I love psychology and I loved helping people, but I also loved Batman. So I thought, well, what what's the only job that fuses all of them together? Forensic psychologist. Yeah. And then sort of as I began to realise, you would, as part of the job, probably have to witness a fair few bodily fluids. I decided, right, well, actually, that's not going to work out, is it? You know, because I sort of get rushed to any every time I stub m- my toe on a door. OK. So I decided, OK, in addition to how long it would take to be a forensic psychologist, you know, I I don't know if this is for me. So what am I going to do? Well, I, I, I and then I, and then I sort of went back to this memory of oh, I really love being on camera. Maybe that could be my job and then start to try and find my way to that.
0: What age are we talking about now? Did you buy, like, an old video camera? Was it smartphone time? It must have been smartphones by then. I was terrified of going into
1: my overdraft at uni. So, yeah. basically, I found a way to live on the bare minimum. So, I think I probably had a phone that didn't have a camera. Nice. Uh, well, basically, when I say live on the bare minimum, I had a phone without a camera and I would buy 30 sausages from Morrison's for 15p. and that tells 15p you P you for the whole to- bag? hmm and that, t- oh, well, first of all, you know a pig's been nowhere near those sausages. Yeah. But second of all, that tells you, you know, basically <laughs> uh, my nutrition my nutrition was out the window, but, you know, I wasn't in my overdraft, so I was happy. Okay, good. So what I did do is I said to myself, right, I need to buy a camera so that I can start my career in media. And I was like, right, I need to get, uh, how, how much money was it? Probably I need to get 500 pounds. And there was an internship at my university, which was to film the mechanical engineering department for 100 hours. (laughs) So I looked at the job description and it was like, you know, you're going to film people, uh, you know, disassembling go-karts and and putting the spokes on tyres. And I thought, you know, it it can't be that difficult. And so uh, I did the first hour of it. It was in the summer holidays. Everyone had gone back home. Everyone was with their mates. And I filmed the first hour and after sort of, you know, basically zooming in on somebody tighten a bolt for an hour, I thought this is going to be really tough to finish the other
0: 99 hours, but I need to get that camera. What was the content for? What? Why on earth would they want that degree of detail? What was the grand plan? Well, you know, I mean, that was
1: like, you know, you always hear food porn. That was like, that must have been mechanical engineering porn, just watching okay. somebody, you know, seductively <laughs> screw on uh, a bolt. Yeah, they wanted 100 hours of it. Yeah. So I thought, God, you know, I, basically what I did is I, I stayed up for, I don't know what the exact equivalent would be, because I'm not good at math, like I said, but I stayed up for, say, four days and four nights, Yeah. filming in the day, editing through the night, so that I could turn around to the lady and go, well, I have done 100 hours. So I basically finished this hundred-hour internship in about four days. <laughs> then went home, <laughs> went home, like sent them some half-baked footage of a go-kart being pushed down a hill, and then went home and bought my camera, and then you know started my um, my career on, on
0: YouTube. Okay, wow. And what were some of your first um, kind of videos? What do you remember first uploading to to YouTube?
1: Um, I filmed a review of Kendrick Lamar's song. I can't remember even what song it was, but it was a review of Kendrick Lamar. And then it was a video of, um, and then it was a review of
0: uh, Miguel, who had an album out. Okay. Uh, So this is 2012, I'm sensing. This is... Yeah, this um, must have been. This must have been. Good Kid Mad City. But these are are straight. These these aren't being funny. These are serious-ish.
1: Well, I mean, I, I made attempts at being funny. But yeah. the fact that I've made all of those videos private on my YouTube will, will tell you all you need to know about how <laughs> how actually funny it was. But, you know, I was trying to tell jokes. I was putting these videos up and they'd get 30 views. And I thought, wow, you know what? Just call me KSI at this point because 30 views, I mean, come on. I was so excited. I was I was gassed. I was like, 30 views is brilliant. If I got 300 views, honestly, I was cracking open the books fizz because I think <laughs> even then I was just excited. I think one thing that has always been present in my content is... I just want people. I just love people watching it, yeah. And just feeling something about it, and wanting to say something about it. So I was happy as you like I'd film my videos. Uh, We had a goose in Norwich for some reason. We adopted a goose. Okay. uh, And it had a it had something called an angel wing, which meant it would never fly. (laughs) So um, you know, I think I made sort of like a sort of four part Netflix series about this goose and the struggles of having one wing. And I was the goose called. Uh, it was called Annie, for some reason. Annie the Goose. Yeah, Annie yeah. the Goose. Um, couldn't fly, couldn't really swim. So just sort of waddled around. Um, and I would just go after it and film it. And, and put uh, for some reason, I'd always put it to... Um, I'd always edit it to the Jaws music. Okay. Um, because, you know, that's what Scorsese would do. I mean, Scorsese didn't even write, make Jaws, did he? But... <laughs> <laughs> I think it's Spielberg. They're all the same, these that's guys. That's the only one I know. Um, but, but I think what's what's implicit within that is anything I could film I would film and and to be honest lots of it I didn't even put on YouTube I just loved editing and filming and when I got back to university for the next term I would always be the first in the students union and I'd have to unlock the doors to get into the whole building so I could go in to the student hub and start editing and I'd always get kicked out by security every day every single day I'd be the last I'd be the first one to unlock the building then I'd get kicked out by security at the end and all of it was either filming or editing, Like I was just, it, that was my addiction.
0: Wow. Mm. And then you, you left university and you decided that you'd be kind of more in front of the camera. And I think you were trying to be an actor and a presenter. I mean, that is obviously the, the kind of hardest, the most competitive field in the world, really, to get into. Mm. What was your, what were some of your ways in? Well, how, what were you doing as a young jobbing actor?
1: So with acting, to be honest, I'd, I'd shot that one dead ages ago because I thought, well, I, you know, I need to go to drama school and I, yeah. I don't think I can do that. So I thought, well, you know, presenting. So I had a few means, I had a few tricks up my sleeve. So first of all, I joined, uh, you know, a community radio station called Represent and I'd have a show there um, every weekend. So I would do that to keep the cogs turning. And then um, I was like, cool, I need to get an agent. And so I would send out, uh, I realised that any normal email I sent out just wasn't working out. Yeah. And so that's when I began telling the lie that I was Idris Alba's son. So I'd send out an email and the title would be, you know, Idris Alba's son. So I'd say, Look, I'm Idris Alba's son. I do this, this and that, you know, here's my showreel. And then right at the bottom it would be like, Oh, actually, I'm not his I'm not his son, but take a chance on me. In fact, you know what? I'm gonna read it for you now. Yeah. Yeah? You want me to read it to you? Please, please, please. So this is the email. Dearest Rebecca. Word, oh wait, I need to tell you the title first. The title of the email is Idris Elba Mark II. Okay. Dearest Rebecca, word on the tough, cold, vegan-filled streets of London is that you are the single greatest living agent in town. Hopefully, you've been tricked by my promise of being the next tall, dark and handsome instalment of presenting talent, seeing as I'm actually slightly below average height with all the sexual appeal of Boris at a Magic Mike audition. You see, even then the even satire then. was brewing.
0: <laughs> even then happened. the Boris bashing was Boris was was, was, was he was he who's mayor of London probably this He point. was the mayor of London. Wow. So you're going quite fairly deep. You could have yeah. gone for David Cameron, but maybe he has got a bit of sex appeal in some way. Maybe yeah, exactly. And I didn't know how
1: well sort of a pig's head joke would go down in, in landing okay. me a presenting agent. <laughs> um then it goes, but alas, despite being doubt Uno cards in life's game of poker. I've still managed to wiggle my way onto a drive-time show on Represent and a weekly show on here and this and that. Here are some of my highlights. Bang. yeah. I've never drunk a coffee in my life, dot, dot, dot. But I'll take a chance on you if you take a chance on me. <laughs> Deal? Deal. Thanks for reading my email. Best, Munya. And then the uh, reply? Yeah. With an email like that, how can I say no? Jordan will find us a 30-minute window. My best, Rebecca. So, it worked. It worked. actually did work.
0: So what's the conversion rate? How many How many of those did you send out? Or, or was that the only one like that? Let's say I sent out seven okay. and I got four replies.
1: Wow. And the other three, we can assume I was blocked and reported to the police. Okay. However, however, what I will say is this. When I went to those meetings, yeah, they would sit down and humor me and they'd go, hmm, you seem like a decent guy. Sure, it was pretty good as well. But... You haven't got any followers, right? You're a nobody. And I remember one meeting I was in, she said to me, uh, look, if you had 30,000 followers, which back then was a lot. Yeah. If you had 30,000 followers, I might have considered putting you in for a meeting with the digital team. So it wasn't even we might sign you. It's If you had 30,000 followers, you might have got a meeting with the appropriate department within our agency. From that point... Uh, I thought, right, I've got to build up followers. How am I going to do that? I didn't even considered uh, that you know comedy could be a thing. So for some strange reason, I went into fashion. Nice. I'd go to vintage markets and buy clothes that smelt like they'd been extracted from a, you know a bunker, and then I would find walls around London that sort of matched the design of the jackets or the t-shirts or whatever, and I would just photograph them, put some sort of um, put in the caption and just a, a hell of like a load of hashtags mm-hmm. and then just hope for the best now um during that time uh, i had a friend who was you know he was i would say one of the first uh, influencers in, in some sense because he had like you know sixteen twenty thousand followers and he was doing traveling and i just thought this guy is the guru like he yeah. can teach me and i said to him ross what am, you know what do i do how do i get my name out there and he went right, cool. You know, this is app you can use. Okay, and what it does is you put all the hashtags in like you want. So, like for example, uh, Adidas or you know, fashion outfit of the day, and it will find people who are also using those hashtags and it will like their photos. And then they'll go into your page and they'll see that you like Adidas as well. And then it's going to grow your followers. So I was like, brilliant, sign me up. So sign me up for this plan. The whole thing went crashing down after a month, like they got cancelled. You know, the the, the whole yeah, yeah. service got cancelled. But what I didn't know is, I imagined that this program would send out likes to you know fashion gurus in america you know fashion influencers stylists and they'd all be coming to my work what it was actually doing is basically liking anybody who'd ever used Adidas in their caption which for some reason seemed to be like a load of Lithuanian like older women. Wow so basically every now and again I'll get a comment from like <laughs> someone in Lithuania being like why have you liked my photo? This is so weird. And I'm like god okay how do I explain this story but I know that's one of the you know I think that's a that's a trademark of of the journey to fame you know you you yeah. you got to like a few lithuanian women's photos if you're going to make it you know Absolutely. what i mean
0: Absolutely they've all um, said it So they've
1: all the, done it the, Exactly so the fashion angle sort of died a slow death and then it's after that sort of perished i went Yeah mm, maybe i should try my videos again
0: So do do you think those those agents were right to to care about followers and following. And, I mean, I imagine they still do very much so, but even then they seemed kind of manically fixed on it. Do you think they missed out on some very talented people just because they didn't have the right Instagram account?
1: Oh, 100%. Because um, what we're seeing now, which I really admire, is people... in in those days, we we thought that we needed agents to... Hmm place our content on a platform that would then allow it to be viewed to be shared to be commented on whereas now people go well no if i have a good idea i'm just going to post it on instagram twitter tiktok youtube and if it's a good idea more often than not it flies yeah and so all of a sudden you remove the need for these kind of gatekeepers and these middlemen but i imagine i fully imagine that there are so many kind of gems creative gems that we've we've slept on because you know they didn't have that magic passcode of thirty thousand followers or whatever yeah um or because they were told because you don't have these followers your work actually isn't very good when uh, of course that's not the case so yeah sometimes i do get sad when i think about you know who would ask the stars of today have been had they not been told look you're, you're actually a nobody because you haven't got this this amount of followers and and what about rebecca have you ever crossed paths with her again Never crossed paths with Rebecca, but my current agent is called Rebecca and she was almost like the sort of uh, the Doctor Strange multiverse version of her because she was okay. someone who came to me when I didn't have followers and said, hey, I think you could be pretty great, so let's give it a go. Yeah. So that worked out pretty nicely. But, um, you know, sometimes I come across people whom I know, I know I've emailed and I think they don't know that I know and I just <laughs> sort of have a,
0: a, a cheeky giggle to myself. Do you, what, you've kind of got a mental catalogue? of all these people oh yes I mean (laughs) I uh, hold on to that it's healthy I think to just store every mm. slight in your head forever
1: I'm like the uh, you know Arya Stark in uh, Game of Thrones where she has a a list of people she's going to assassinate
0: I don't I've never seen that show Oh, which which is often a cultural problem Um, Mm. but let's pretend I said yeah 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 Force.
1: well there's a girl in the show who for some reason <laughs> loses vision loses sight in both eyes but then decides to avenge that by having a list of people that she's going to assassinate
0: That'll work and yeah. she
1: she she basically goes through the series you know trying to find these people that's me minus the assassination bit okay uh, every every time I get like a a no which I think is unfair always because there's an underestimation of what I can do I always then make it my mission that that list is what drives me I think to myself do you know what yeah uh, your your nose are are, are an encouragement, um, and I focus on the good bits, of course. But I quite like the idea of having to prove something. You know that yeah. keeps me going.
0: Are you very confident in yourself? Do you have a kind of high nerve or embarrassment threshold, or actually you like a lot of performers when perhaps you're in many ways an introvert?
1: Oh, massively! I'm I'm a huge introvert, and it took me literally up until last month to realise that after I read a book wow. about introversion called Quiet. Um, let me quickly find who wrote it, just because I want to make sure that she gets her credit. It's by Susan... Uh, Quiet, it's by S- uh, Susan Kane. Susan Kane. What it basically taught me about myself is that I have a very limited supply of energy to give out to others. And I, I, I find the world quite overwhelming. Yeah so that it drains me very quickly and what it taught me is that even though I create things that entertain people I still myself as Munya I'm quite different from that you know I I, I, you know introverts they overanalyze stuff they ask a lot of questions they seem quite intense they really latch on to little things like a fleeting look in someone's face or a word that they might say, which they probably didn't even mean anything by, but introverts will take that as a direct kind of reflection on, you know, whether they've said something wrong. Yeah. So you spend so much of your time really processing things and thinking deeply about things. And then when you meet people, they're expecting you to be this sort of tap dancing, singing uh, enigma. Yeah. So for a long time, I always thought to myself, you know, am I disappointing people when I meet them in real life? Because, you know most of my time I spend inside my own head and i yeah. can imagine that the when you watch my videos and you see me singing and dancing and this and that you, you would expect something different but yeah. it just taught me to embrace who i am you know it taught me to say look there've been many incredible you know introverts and there's actually a list in the book right at the beginning that tells you all of the things that wouldn't exist without introverts wow um you know even rosa parks she was an introvert wow and yet her an instance of extroversion, or you know, an, an introvert suddenly being outspoken, changed the world forever. So I just stopped feeling. I just started to feel a bit less guilty about maybe not yeah. being this this spectacle that people perhaps expected me to be.
0: Um,
1: yeah. And I t- and I tried to think about my deep thinking of things as as something of a of of, of something more of a superpower than a sort of hindrance.
0: Yeah, I mean, social media is is a bizarre place at the best of times but it must be odd to have that kind of mindset and yet be broadcasting sometimes to to so many people just a few weeks ago you passed the million follower mark which is Mm. like an unfathomable amount of people who are seeing your work Mm. which must be wonderful but then Mm. does something like that come with a new kind of pressure what was it like waking up on that first morning and thinking right we finally hit one zero 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 zero? how many i don't know how many there are six Mm. probably So
1: (laughs) it actually was a big relief because one thing that I got very frustrated about my journey initially was I thought to myself, you know, these videos, I know that they're good videos because I'm really, really putting so much thought into them. Um, I'm spending so much time on them. I'm I'm checking around my core friendship group, you know, are these good? And they're saying to me, yeah, this is great. But none of them. Uh, seemed to be getting me that sort of million-follower overnight success, which we've seen happen to people. Because as fantastic as lockdown was, there were people who were uh, putting out uh, videos that were much more simple in terms of the, you know, literally from an objective sense of production value and stuff. There were maybe not as many bells and whistles, but, you know, they were were going up one million, two million, three million followers, and I was thinking, but so what am I doing wrong here? And I used to sometimes think, you know, if I had this one video that took me straight to a million, that would make life so much easier. Because then I don't have to sort of keep breaking my back over these, uh, you know, over these these really kind of like intensive productions. But it's only now that I realise I'm very glad that it's happened this way. Because when I hit a million followers, it was after maybe a four and a half year period of really grafting two videos a week, every week. Missing family events, weekends, time to chill, time on my PlayStation, all of those things had to be sacrificed in order to keep to this schedule. Yeah. And what it made me think is actually this is the best thing that could have happened for me because, number one, it means that if I had hit a million on my first video, yeah, I wouldn't know what people wanted from me or why they followed me or what they were expecting. Whereas to do it over four years... I know what people want from me now, and I know what people love my content for. They want something that is smart, but warm, uplifting, enlightening. There's a very clear expectation and agreement we share between us, which has taken me four years to get to know my audience. And and as a result of that, they're very loyal to me. You know, I don't really particularly like this idea of followers. You know, these you know people who watch my content. I don't I don't think of them like that. I, and in many cases, I actually think of them more as friends because they are the same people from four years ago. Yeah, You see what I'm saying? If the messages that you're getting and the people commenting on your work are people who have been doing that for four years, it means that actually they do know you. Mm. Um, and I speak to some of them, so I know them. So I'm like, cool, we actually have a bit more of a friendship here than if I went on a show, you followed me and then went, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not really interested in, in who you are. So that's another benefit. Like you've got this real bond with people who have invested in your work and in your journey. And then the third thing is it's like, um, you know, it's allowed me to experience fame. And again, I'm very reluctant to use that word because it, it sounds very sort of uh, vacuous. Yeah. But we're talking about elements of fame, like, you know, being recognized, you know, people writing about you, these things. It's allowed me to be, experience it in a very slow dosage. You know, it's allowed me to microdose, which allowed me to adapt as we go along so i'd like to think that one of the reasons i've never lost my head or you know done something stupid in a, in a moment of madness mm. is because i've been able to learn at a very leisurely pace to deal with all of the things that happen as you grow in profile so the answer to the question is when i hit a million followers i was relieved to yeah. see that a benchmark i'd wanted for so long was hit but i was also really really um, happy with the journey it took to get
0: there yeah that's a great answer what does it do, though, to your, um, to your relationship with your phone? Because, you know, when I get 30 likes on a photo, if I'm mm. lucky, I can even notice, if I'm aware of it, that, you know, the, the brain chemistry, the, the squirt of dopamine and me checking Instagram more often. If mm. you've got that many likes coming through, is your mm. phone literally red hot? Is it just bing, 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 bing notification, notification, notification? What's what? that like pragmatically? Mm. You know,
1: I actually don't have any notifications on any of my apps apart from WhatsApp. And I made that as a conscious decision because... I created a Finstagram, which is when, obviously, it's, what is, it's basically, you know, close-up pictures of my eyebrows for my friends to enjoy. But for some reason, I can't turn off notifications on that okay. from my other account. So when I go on my Finstagram, just for a second, my phone, <laughs> it suddenly becomes like an electric toothbrush, just vibrating without stopping. And I think to myself, no, 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 this is so stressful. It's like a, it's like a, a, a slot machine almost. Yeah. So I decided, no, no, no I'm not going to have notifications but what you say about dopamine is very interesting because, you know, I did a psychology degree and I'm very well aware of the, the effects of it. Mm. When, when a video goes viral, it is like, you know, dopamine being injected into your veins because it's this rush of your happiness, but also ex- vicariously experiencing the happiness you're bringing to however many people watch the video. Let's say, um, let's say 800,000 people watch the video. Yeah. Seeing their joy is like, is like a multiplier. It's like a combo multiplier on the feeling you're already getting. And so you can, you can know I can see very easily how that feeling um, could be for some people quite addictive, you know, and there's things that I have to, to put in place to, to stop myself getting addicted to that because a video posted in lockdown is very different from a video posted now. People yeah. are out, the sun's out, they're back to their jobs, they're back to their friends. They're not going to be sat glued to their phone. And so by every right by every intent of purpose, it could feel pretty depressing seeing yeah. a post-lockdown drop in content. So what I try to do is I try to say to myself, look, you know, what am I actually doing? In the sense of what am I spending my time on? And then when I look and I think, right, I've written and starred on a TV show that's gone out on BBC. I'm preparing for something which will hopefully go on channel X, Y, and Z. I'm scripting. I've I've got my own company. You know, we've got nominated for BAFTA. What I'm learning to do is to shift my sense of achievement away from my social media notifications. Yeah. Because, for example, uh, I did a cover for Time Out magazine, which was just such an amazing full circle moment. Because, you know, I used to really rush to London to commute to work, and I used to rush and grab one and really just savour it the whole day in my magic, in my mind, waiting for the two-hour train back to Birmingham, and I'd read it. So to be on the front cover, you know, I should have been doing backflips. But when I posted that I was doing the front cover, let's say it got like maybe, you know, 80 comments or whatever, and then a sketch might get 2,000. I thought, oh, well, maybe no one cares. And then I had to stop myself. I said, Munya, yeah. are you crazy? You're going to invalidate this experience because... You didn't get this amount of numbers show up on a screen. That's when I realised, you know what, I need to really take the reins here and and actually completely detach the concept of achievement from numbers on on a phone. And I'm working on that. Um, That's a goal for this year. But, you know, those are things that you need to put in place for yourself.
0: With all these things going on and all these kind of more traditional media things, I guess, when you're on the BBC and you're doing TV shows, Mm. do you ever think that maybe you might... Just taper off Instagram, or just leave social media. Or is that always going to be the kind of heartland for you? I mean, it's a great question because
1: what is interesting to me is how we, as a, as consumers, um, we gauge success uh, success based on social media presence, actually. Yeah. And so, you know, in my sphere or within my, you know, my circles, you know, people like to use the phrase falling off, which is basically uh, a term used to describe, it's basically if they think that you're not performing, you're not, you're not giving the same level of output as when they mm-hmm. found you. So if during lockdown I was putting out two videos a week and each of those videos was getting 5,000 comments and 1 million views, if they were to look at a video now that wasn't on that, technically speaking, they could say, oh, he's fallen off. But what I have to counterbalance that against is, if I am making, um, you know, these are all these are all theoretical things, but fingers crossed, yeah. things that I will one day do. If I'm making a scripted show, if I'm doing my first acting role, if I am building up my company so that I can have a slate of my own shows, I'm not going to be able to sit on my phone all day to make a video. But does mm-hmm. that mean that I've fallen off? And the answer is no. And I think, uh, you know, a good friend of mine, uh, Amelia de Moldenberg, who, you know, is really... Um, just a shining example of someone who's persisted at something and is now yeah. really reaping the benefits. You know, she said to me, we had a call in January once after the new year where I always feel, sometimes feel a bit wobbly. And she said to me, look, do you want to make one-minute videos for your whole life? You know, is, that, is the, do you want that to be your thing? And I said, well, you know what, not really. So I'm willing to have a few people level that um, observation of, oh, yeah. he's, he's not doing as much on Instagram anymore. If that means I can get to the end of my life and go... Did a, did a documentary, a scripted, a film, had my own channel, da, da, da You know, I just need to remember that as a creator, my job is to push myself to create in as many yeah. ways
0: as possible. You said you feel a bit wobbly in, in, uh, in mm. New Year. It's so just the fact the passage of time is quite a, a tricky thing to deal with.
1: Well, you can imagine it, can't you? You, you? you kind of end a year and you look back at all these incredible things and you think to yourself how on earth am I going to top that hmm. you know it's just that feeling I always think of the new year as starting from scratch for some reason yeah maybe in other people's brains it's a continuation of yourself and people see oh yeah it's when you're going into 2022 or whatever but for me it all starts from scratch that's right it's really important for me in January to nail a couple of really big sketches to go do you know what that wasn't just flavour of the month like yeah. I'm, I'm still here and I'm still working hard and I'm still going to keep entertaining that's probably one of my own sort of psychological uh, constructs, but um, I think it can be a good thing because it encourages me to hit the ground running. And what I tend to do is I start every year with a 66-day challenge. Wow! Uh, so I'll do like a 60. I'll do like a 66 uh, TikToks in a row. Now, not all of them are great. Uh, you know, some of them are very simple, maybe a bit of lip-syncing, and then others will be a bit more complex. But what it does is it forces me to create and get back into that habit and uh, to, to really just restart my brain. Yeah. So, you know, that's that's something I try and do as well. Why 66 days? Oh, because I did this uh, campaign with Gymshark, and they said it takes 66 days to start a habit.
0: Oh, nice. So it's just stuck with me. We had Ben Francis on this. Have you, have you met Ben? Oh, really? actually, we have.
1: Uh, I actually have never met him in person, but I I, yeah. I know his jawline well.
0: <laughs> he's He's <laughs> one of those guys, I mean, you're not dissimilar, who mm-hmm. are younger than me and you just think ah okay they worked it mm. out very early on and um mm. most of us take a long time to do it on that the note like mm. someone like ben and a lot of people i speak to they seem lucky in a sense that they worked out what they wanted to do like it's very easy saying chase your dreams but the hardest part most of the time is being like well what is my dream and what is a conceivable mm. dream that i could chase do you feel like you you found out you found what you want to do do you feel like you've kind of got something sussed out or does that never happen mm.
1: Well, for me, I'm a very logical person, which, you know, is sometimes to my detriment. So when I say I'm a logical person, what I mean is I'm very, like, dichotomous. So something is a yes or a no to me. It's either black or white. Mm -hmm. So, for example, I was like, cool, I want to be successful and I want to do something that enables me to entertain people and to engage with people. So what I did is I would just go through everything. I was like, cool, fashion vlogging. Is it getting the numbers I want? Is it getting the reaction I want? No, cut it off. Podcasting, try the podcast, radio show, da 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 da, everything. Just going through them, and then of course I did my first comedy. So I did a comedy sketch. Well, how many did I do? I did one, two. So on my third, my third comedy sketch uh, on Instagram, when I was doing this sort kind of last ditch attempt at, am I going to be a creator? The third one went viral. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I went cool. Already, this is way more than I've had from all of these other things combined. So in my brain, I was like, cool, this is it then. Yeah. And I just I just went hell for leather on that thing. So, you know, it was it was very much like that sort of cutthroat process of elimination because, you know, some people you'll say, what do you want to be in life? And they'll go on this really incredible journey of discovery and stuff. For me, I was like, does that work? No. Does that yeah. work? No.
0: Does that work? Yes. Cool, I'll do that then, you know. But you know what? That's, that's a great way of thinking about it. So is your advice to kind of to young, creative-ish people just do lots of stuff and try lots of different stuff, not just a huge body of work, but a varied body of work, I suppose. My advice to anybody who was in the position
1: that I was in or, is, is, you know, somewhere along that spectrum... Yeah. ..I always used to use this analogy of uh, a wall, yeah? Mm-hmm. So imagine you've got this brick wall in front of you and somebody says, cool, we're going to give you your entire lifetime to knock down this wall yeah so i imagined it as you've got like this huge suitcase full of tools now if you take out a teaspoon and hit the same area of the wall every day it will come down one day you know that because every time it's taking off a fragment of the wall but it'll be very slow but if you then get in the toolbox and you see like a pickaxe or like a pneumatic drill the wall's going to come down so much quicker so The only way the wall is going to come down full stop is if you're always hitting it. So that, for me, the message within that is sort of twofold. Number one, it's about making sure you're always attacking that wall. You know, Mm -hmm. just always try something. Be doing something because you'll be figuring out, you're knocking down this obstruction between you and what you want. But then, you know, switch things up and try different tools because once you start switching those tools, you will then very quickly discover when's the wall coming down quickest. Yeah. So that, a combination of those two messages which is uh you know find the right tool and make sure you keep chipping away at it. Um, nice. You know which I'm pretty sure is the you know that's that's rule 101 for getting an NVQ in uh, in wall destroying. <laughs>
0: uh, that would be a lovely note to end on, but I want to ask yeah. you one more question because we started mm. this this conversation and I apologize again. I spoke about the pandemic, but no, it's fine. been such a weird couple of years and it, and it actually mm. seems to be getting weirder and, and, and perhaps slightly darker and dimmer because mm. everyone I know who's intelligent and understands these things says there's a recession coming and obviously cost of mm. living is going up. Mm. How do you kind of approach things like that? And do you think a lot of people say in this kind of time, oh, satire is dead. We can't get more ridiculous um, mm. than MPs watching porn and people mm. lying about birthday cakes. Do you think that's the case, or do you think there's always going to be room for kind of poking fun at power?
1: Well, you see, remember what I said, isn't it,
0: about the the dichotomy? It's like yeah.
1: the infamous one is you can either laugh or cry, isn't it?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, the world doesn't need me to make everyone more miserable. You know, right. if I go on Twitter and I say, "Do you know what? This is pretty crap, isn't it? You know how depressing is this? <laughs> that that the world doesn't need that from me. No. So if I can. a a small fragment of the world is saying to me, I like it when you make me laugh about this thing, then I will continue to do that, you know? Whether it makes a change, I don't know. Um, But what I can say is, I think the world can agree that it's more enjoyable to laugh than to cry. So if I can do my bit amongst all the other incredible creators, comedians, musicians, whatever... To shift that light-dark balance, then you know I feel like it's my duty to my,
0: you know, my species to do that. And do you think it ever ever does make a, a small change? Do you think it ever does affect kind of real change, at least in the way people think about things? I think it does actually, because you know I've met many politicians, I've met many you know civil servants and people
1: who work in politics who talk about you know my videos being circulated in WhatsApp groups and stuff. And I think a lot of the time, for uh, you know people in power, there is this perception that you know the public doesn't know and that we're being hoodwinked but actually people are very smart and I think if a piece of content is shared and they realize how much it's resonating with people perhaps that bursts that bubble of oh maybe we're you know maybe we're not getting away with it and people are much more intelligent
0: and switched on and aware of their lives uh than than we thought of course well long may it continue I think we probably need you and people like you more than ever but it's been so so lovely Mm. to speak to you and there's so many more questions but I'm just in short kind of in awe of your positivity your creativity um and I think yeah I think you're probably gonna I mean you don't need me to tell you but I think Mm. you're on the right track young man you've got it right No, I appreciate (laughs) that and my my thing is it's very strange
1: because when I saw the uh when I saw the email of things that we might talk about yeah anytime I see the word to do with like fame or profile or celebrity i actually do feel like um i never want to mislead people with those terms in relation to myself because ultimately what this whole thing is like even the reason i'm on this podcast is because i've got a tripod and a camera (laughs) and a room yeah and i i I assemble those things and i make something and i put it out there my dad's not famous my mum's not famous I never went to, uh, you know, acting school, anything like that. You know, I did a psychology degree and I just said, cool, this is something I enjoy doing. And people decided, oh, we enjoy it too. And so I, I just want to make sure that people never feel like there's a vast void in, you know, my life and their lives. Because actually, it's just same old money you're in the same old room doing the same old thing, but just having done it for a long time. So I really hope that, um, you know, there are people who are listening and going, do you know what? Yeah, I might give it a go. I might set up that little tripod of ad kicking about or whatever. You know, or or I might might write something about Matt Hancock's penis as well (laughs) and just see where it gets you, you know, but it can be done. Okay, (laughs) perfect. Munya, thank you so much. You're welcome, bud. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, if you enjoyed that episode of the Gentleman's Journal podcast, you'll almost certainly love the Gentleman's Journal magazine, the world's finest dispatch from the front line of luxury, entrepreneurship and style. In fact, lucky podcast listeners like you now get 20% off our annual subscription. Just enter the code POD20 at thegentlemansjournal.com to find out more.